And we're back with another episode of The Anarchist Experience, episode 294, aka Year 6, Week 44, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC and KS. And since this is your regular call-in show, uh, those numbers for you to dial are 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. So usually I would, again, typically, maybe not so much recently, I'd throw it over to you guys and see what you guys wanted to talk about. Uh, But this week I come home from work and, you know, conspiracies abound and M calls out to me. She goes, hey, uh, my friend is asking us if we know anything about the Great Reset. And I went, not really, because it, like it literally, it's only been in the news, you know, hard hitting uh, in in the past week or so, and I didn't really know much about it, and I didn't, you know, didn't really take the time to read through, you know, the the vast amount of headlines that I saw about it. Um, but from what I can gather, and I ran this by you guys, you know, pre-show a little bit, um, it's it's a conspiracy theory where the 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 global elites the globalists which is going to be cool because now alex jones can talk about the globalists again now that trump's going to be out uh but the global elite are using whatever pandemic covid nonsense whatever bs they can uh to implement the quote-unquote great reset uh and all that really means is uh global communism and global socialism and be afraid be very afraid is that that I, that I sum. That's a pretty that's, good summary. Basically, basically it. Okay. And, uh, and, th- and there's, so same there's, fear, new name. Yeah, but some people want a great reset because they're just disaffected or they're poor and they, they you know, think it can't get worse. So why not just bring on communism? Um, and so what? I, the reason I wanted to talk about it is because uh, I have uh, an alternative to the Great Reset, which some people claimed it was going to be anyway. The and Great that, Reboot. Well, <laughs> and, and that is cryptocurrency because it was supposed to be the greatest wealth transfer from, you know, the, the world has ever seen. Um, and that would be good for everybody to get in on instead of... Uh, using the same tools that the the government does to suppress people anyway. So, um, yeah, make do it's like a do it yourself. Great reset, uh, you know, buy, buy Bitcoin or whatever your favorite flavor of cryptocurrency is. So, okay. So with cryptocurrency, I, I sort of think you're right. Um, in that it, it could be the wealth transfer, you know, downward, I guess, or, or, or the, with, you know, if poor people, if poor people got in on it early, right, there was the opportunity to become very wealthy in a relatively short amount of time. Um, what my fear is now with everyone pushing for wide adoption and widespread use of cryptocurrency is, um, that moment may have passed, right? Because if if the big bankers and and the wealthy elites uh, are getting into it, even if they're only getting into it on a small scale, uh, they're getting into it at relatively high prices and high volumes. Okay, but here's the thing: no matter what, now because the cryptocurrency genie is out of the bottle, uh, if all the wealthy elite bought Bitcoin, then you would go, "Oh, that's not the one that I want anymore. I want." 
the you know poor people currency or whatever it is and then you start trading that amongst yourself and your community and the, the people you like and so for for me it's like i i like the uh uh the people who uh value privacy so i buy the monero cryptocurrency and uh it's not anywhere near the the price of bitcoin it's like 122 dollars right now sure um most people can afford that so uh and it's the the market cap of monero is much smaller than bitcoin so it has a lot of room to grow like why would you buy something that all the rich people are fighting over when you could buy a much cheaper one that has you know a better community well because the way to get that wealth transfer uh down the line is for the rich people to buy in and then for you to you know sell out yeah. or you know start yeah, purchasing with it after they figure it out and that's kind of my point like uh the the smart people uh on the ground buy it first and and then the the people with all the money go hmm what why are they buying all that 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 seems interesting and then they eventually then they you know prop up the price themselves and and then you move on to another one okay if it gets too expensive and that's what i think is interesting because you can always move into something that the elite does not want you to move into fair um Okay, so one more critique then, and feel free to rebut this as well. Then, one problem with that aspect of it is the vast number of cryptocurrencies that come to market make it very difficult to pick the one that's going to be a wealth transfer or a bad investment, right? Like yeah. if you're poor and you don't have much to spend and you guess wrong mm -hmm. on the, the cryptocurrency that's, I'm going to be wealthy off of this new uh, new fork or new launch or or you know new uh, I in uh, ICO, um, then then you're still at the bottom. You're still poor. So Bitcoin seemed to be relatively secure for a while. Eh, yeah. I don't know. And I, I compare Bitcoin to gold in a lot of ways. Right. And and of course wealthy people are you know gold investors. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They diversify and they can they can afford to do that. So. What Bitcoin brings to the table is the about ability to uh, buy something and move it around, and uh, that, that's something you just can't do with gold very easily. Because if you buy a lot of it, um, now if you're poor, you, you could buy some gold and you can move it around very easily, right? <laughs> so you put one coin in your pocket, you got two thousand dollars almost. Yeah. Um, if you're poor and you can afford two thousand dollars to just carry around in a gold coin. Well, I mean, if if you need to move around money. Sure. So I'm not I'm not talking like uh poor like you you can't afford food, right? <laughs> so I think I think uh our, our terms are uh probably a little bit different. But you know, there was a guy who 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 was poor and he was from Mexico. He he worked uh 10 years at fast food cleaning dishes. And then uh he he saved up $60,000 and he tried to take it back to Mexico. Um now he was still poor because he doesn't have anything except the $60,000 and he tried to take it back to Mexico on a plane and the government stole it from him. And so that is what Bitcoin brings to the table. He could have bought the Bitcoin and been unmolested on the airplane. <laughs> yeah. Right. Got it. Got that part of it. Um, but if you're saying like, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is for wealthy people and that dude picked another cryptocurrency, right? Got, you know, bamboozled well, or hornswoggled into... Depends on what you're trying to do with it. If you're trying to spe speculate on what's going to be the next biggest thing, then yeah, pick an altcoin and and maybe pick ten of them. I don't know, 
but um yeah do your homework and and figure out what what the what the uh i don't know libertarian anarchists or because that's that's to me why did i invest in bitcoin well because it was like the the libertarian money of the yeah. future i mean that's 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 what i'm saying find out what the libertarians are doing and what they're putting their money into and time and energy and, and technology whatever it is and, and and try that instead of uh doing what the bankers tell you to do right i was initially sold on bitcoin as the anarchist anti-state you know take down the fed money mm -hmm. like fantastic words sign me up um at the but time to, to me it's not really an anti-fed it's just it's it is anti-elite or it was at the, and, yeah and, it was I'm saying, at the time it was definitely captured. yeah and then it's time to move on to something else once 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 all the rich people have all of it then you go hmm let's do it again <laughs> right you know? and make them buy more crap that they don't need <laughs> but but you have like you have bitcoin on top and then you've got hundreds of altcoins vying sure. for like you know second through 10th place uh at any given time right mm -hmm. like i you know I, i've said this on this show before i remember when it was like bitcoin litecoin and dogecoin and that was it right you know yeah, yeah. gold silver and funny money uh, <laughs> yeah because it was it was a joke at the time yeah. but but now everything everything that comes out is like on the dogecoin level in my opinion basically you know the mm. the, the, the shit coins or the altcoins whatever you want to call it it's on that dogecoin level but always being pitched as like the next best thing with the next best value yeah. um and there's so many of them like it, you you say do your homework that, that's difficult that takes a lot of time and energy and i don't think the average person uh is going to commit that amount of time and energy to figure out which altcoins are viable uh and which is just you know another bs coin hitting the market trying to yep. trying to scam people yeah and and if and if you don't uh take risks you never get rewards and if you don't uh put put energy into figuring out what is valid and what isn't then uh then you'll, you'll just keep doing what the elites tell you to do yeah no i get it but it's a lot easier it's a lot easier for a wealthy person to go like yeah sure let me let me buy one bitcoin and see what happens right than it oh, is sure. for a poor person to go like well this is half my life savings you know let's see what happens like that's that's a that's a much larger risk uh at that time to to ask yeah. of someone you know it, on that economic scale yeah well i put my whole life savings into it so <laughs> you are a much less risk averse person than most like you are you are and, a risk and seeker and i don't have kids <laughs> right i think in you know in in general that's a mentality thing right there there are certain people that will you know risk it all on the spin of a roulette wheel just to see like you know wow i've, I've made it once i can make it all back again and you know, I'll figure it out again. And there's some people going like, no, not a chance. Right. Yeah. Like my dad is very risk averse. Mm -hmm. Won't gamble at all. Like I work too goddamn hard to make that money. You think I'm going to risk it on chance? No, not at all. Um, I, yeah. you know, and, I'm, and, I'm and somewhere not, in between. Nothing wrong, wrong with that either. And, and, and he's, he's not, uh, what do you call it? He's, he's not in, in poverty, right? So not in poverty, but doesn't, doesn't have Bitcoin as far as I know right. or any cryptocurrency mm -hmm. too risky you know, to, to, to take a chance with his hard earned money, uh, that can sit in, you know, uh, uh, federally insured bank account somewhere. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying, right? Like it's, it's, it's easy. It's easy to say, well, just take a risk and, you know, do your homework. But r the reality is not many people are going to, and is it really, you know, right. And, and so that's why I said, you know, like the, the whole idea of, 
uh, cryptocurrency being the biggest wealth transfer, well, you'd have to get everybody on board and not everybody is on board There's, yet. It's, it's the small, you know, libertarian or crypto anarchists or, uh, you know, people that are into tech and, um, and, and it is getting out there. I mean, I, th I think probably the next time, uh, Bitcoin goes through his boom cycle, everybody, it's going to become, uh, a household name or it's like a common thing for people to have sure. in that part of their portfolio. And actually I'm still waiting for it. The, uh, the, the 401k thing of fidelity was going to let people put Bitcoin in their portfolio. Oh yeah. I saw uh, that. So, but I, I haven't actually seen it happen yet. So I, I don't know. I'm still waiting. And that's what I'm saying. Like when, when that stuff does happen, I think the wealth transfer period is like, if not over coming to an end. Mm -hmm. Right. Like at that well, point, I, don't, I still don't think it ends. I think it just transfers into, uh, if, if you have a good idea, you can, you can reboot that the whole Bitcoin idea of, you know, starting from you okay. know, one penny and turning it into thousands of dollars worth of, uh, tokens or whatever you want to call them. In the grander crypto scheme, yes. In Bitcoin specifically, um, and and when I say end, I mean in the direction that we think it's going to go, right? Yeah. Like well, once I, once I the think... wealthy people start getting into it and and have control over it, uh, you know, however that's exercised, um, you know, not the same way they can with the banks, but you know, every, every time a Bitcoin whale like, oh no, he's moving billions, the the price gets dinged a little bit, one way or the other, right? So if, if if the if the wealthy elites are getting in on it and have you know the ability to manipulate the price, um, I think wealth starts to transfer back from those on the lower rungs of the economic ladder to the elites on the higher rung. Unless, of course, like you said, um, the people on the lower rungs get out and get on you know another crypto ladder, uh, and then we'll see. Then it's just then it's just a game of cat and mouse. Like when how how long do you have to stay yes. in in that one until the wealthies? <laughs> Wealthy people move over to that as well, but it, but it kind of always is, and, and that's kind of what the the stock market was for a lot of people for a long time. It, it was a way to get in on on the wealth transfer. So um, now we just have more more options for that. And the cool thing is, you don't have to get permission from the government to start a cryptocurrency. That is true. But you get, but if you start your own, then you really got to find something that makes it valuable for other people to use. True. Uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of like multi-level marketing insofar as I've been pitched so many different uh, multi-level marketing companies <laughs> yeah. from people like, do you want to be your own boss, right? Own your own company. I go, no, not really. Like that's not, <laughs> you're not your own boss. That's not your own company, yeah. right? If you, if that was really the case. Right. You would be starting your own MLM, not joining right. somebody else's. Exactly. Right. And I go like, well, what does it take? What does it take to start your own MLM? And it's a little bit more difficult because um, then you're just starting a business. And then, you know, why make it an MLM at that point? Why, why limit yourself to like one chain of distribution, in my opinion, uh, when you could have many. So never started one. Um, I joined one uh, a long time ago, but not... I, I wasn't planning on doing it the right way. I just wanted to see if I could do it a different way and it never really, it didn't take off and I didn't, 
I didn't spend a lot, so I don't feel like I got taken. It was just, you know, it was a trial and then it failed mostly due to inactivity on my part. So I'm not, I'm not blaming the MLM. I'm not blaming anybody else. I'm not even saying it wouldn't have worked if I had, you know, worked on it more. I just, in my situation, didn't. I'm also not against MLMs if that's your thing, right? If you want to join an MLM because you think that's a great way for, you know, an additional source of income uh, and you're willing to put in the time and effort to do it, by all means, I think they're completely legitimate. I think they're completely viable uh, for people with the right mentality and the right work ethic. Um, I just don't like the pitch of it's your own company and you're your own boss because that's not true at all, right? Be, Be honest about it and then we can talk. Yeah. And there, there are lots of scams and MLMs that are scams out there, but uh, the biggest one of them all is the U S dollar Ponzi scheme. Yes. There, <laughs> there are plenty of scams out there, right? They're not exclusively yeah. to MLMs. They're not exclusively to crypto. I uh, just, you know, be safe in whatever you do and, you know, take, take the appropriate, you know, risks uh, that you've calculated on your own. Yeah. And, and I, I don't want people to, okay. There, there's people that want to take risk. And and want those hundred time gain, hundred times gains, right? Why wouldn't and, you? And so those are the people that should go into altcoins and stuff like that, uh, cryptocurrency altcoins, besides Bitcoin. Um, for those who want to uh, hedge against inflation, I still think Bitcoin is a good buy. Um, you know, it might go down to ten thousand dollars or even five thousand dollars in the next year. I don't know, um, but uh, in the long term, you know, I always. I always say Bitcoin is the five-year plan. Like if you hold on to Bitcoin for five years, sometime in that in that five years, it's going to be worth much more than you paid for it. I would agree so, with that. So, and, and that's been the case since it came out. But um, yeah, so it's a hedge against, hedge against inflation and it's probably going to succeed. So if, if that's your goal is just uh, holding on to your wealth, then Bitcoin is is to me better, even better than gold still. And I always compare it to gold. So, uh, you know, Bitcoin would have to be, um, what did I say, forty or fifty thousand dollars per per coin? No, four hundred thousand. I'm sorry, four hundred thousand dollars to five hundred thousand dollars per coin to match all the gold in the world. Yes, I rem- I remember so, that conversation. So, I I make that prediction based on, well, uh, it's it's very valuable way of or very. Uh, efficient way to transfer money and and to hold value so it makes it better than gold in some ways yes um so yeah i I put it on par with gold and i hope it gets to that value and after it gets to that then we'll well then the conversation will change then then it will be well what's next to me like after it gets to the value of of all the gold in the world uh and stabilizes there for (laughs) extended period of time but I think if it does get to the, the same value as all the all the gold in the world, then at that point, gold will also be much higher too. And so then it will just be gold and Bitcoin versus uh, fiat currency. Yeah. And th- those stuck in fiat currency will have some other altcoin, maybe, right. uh, to get into for that. And, and maybe fiat currency will become an altcoin. Yeah. They're trying to do it right now. <laughs> They're doing it in China. It's weird. It's so weird. It's, I don't even, I can't even wrap my head around like who's, who pitched that idea, who approved of it and who think that's going to work the, you know, the digital dollars or whatever. Well, it, it, it actually will be more efficient than printing physical dollars because 
uh, well, right now in, in other countries, they, they counterfeit U.S. dollars all the time. Yeah. And they spend them as if they're, you know, Benjamins. You know? <laughs> I, had, I had a customer come in uh, to my regular job today to make his payment. And, you know, his bill was like 700 some odd dollars. And he paid all in cash. Like, sorry to give you cash, man. But, you know, cash is king. Only carry cash. I'm like, okay, I hear what you're saying. He's like, yeah, because what if like the credit cards and the banks go down, man, then all you got is cash. <laughs> I go, I hear what you're saying. You know, however, like to me, it's an unfounded conspiracy theory because if all the banks go down and the credit cards fail, the only cash you have is like what's in your pocket, right? So unless you have like the mattress stuffed with your cash and your life savings there, <laughs> right? Like yeah. what what's in your pocket? That's it. Because yeah. if the banks fail, they're not going to know how much cash you had in your deposit account, well, in your savings if the, account. If the banks fail, most most people have negative money, so <laughs> they would they would come out ahead. <laughs> right. And I, I I know I've said this a long time ago on the show. There's a book, uh, I think was written in like the 20s or 30s. Uh, KS, you might be familiar with this, uh, by Garrett Garrett. It's a fiction work uh, called Harangue, uh, or something to that effect. And one of the plots of the book was um, the reason that we no longer have, this was in the twenties. The reason we no longer have to fear, fear a bank run, um, is because everyone is in debt. So you can't even go run to the bank to get your money out because the likelihood is you owe money and there's, there's negative, it's negative in there as well. It was a, it was a weird, you know, it was like, holy, that's mind blowing at the time when I read it, uh, especially for how, how old the book was at the time. But what's the know, title of the book? Uh, harangue by Garrett harangue. Garrett. I think one T, two T, G A R E T, okay. and then Garrett, you know, G A R R E T T. But yeah, he, he, you know, liberty oriented fiction writer, I guess is a good way to describe his works. Uh, I think I have more of those books somewhere. But either way, so, you know, I'm talking to this customer and he's like, well, you know, that, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. But he's like, but I got my house. I go, what good is your house? You can't parcel up the house. You can't piecemeal sell your house. And if you go to everything cash, where are you going to find someone with like half a million dollars in cash in their possession to like to buy your house? You know? So I, I, I think I gave him something to think about without really like laughing at him um, for, for like, you know, down with the credit card systems and down with the banks. And all I got is this federal reserve notes in my pocket, bro. You know, I think we talked a little bit about it before. Like, if if, if the ele- entire electric electrical grid and banking system goes to shit, uh, your cryptocurrency is going with it, at least in the interim, right? There, there are mitigating ways around that, but you have you have bigger problems at that point uh, than you know you know what what's gonna what's gonna happen to my crypto if if the if there's no internet, no electricity, yeah. you know, same thing that happens to your bank account. Man. Well, like, I ran in I ran into a problem, and and I do worry about this. Um, the other night my internet went down and also at the same exact time. And so I guess maybe it was a big Island wide problem. I don't know. I didn't see anything in, in the news about it. It's a conspiracy. But, so maybe it's just my neighborhood, but my internet went down, internet went down and my phone also lost internet. Like, I mean, even if I disconnected from Wi-Fi, I rebooted my phone, it was connected to LTE. I could still text message out, but I could not access any, anything on the internet. And so, completely cut off from the internet um for you know a number of hours i don't know how long it was but i went to sleep eventually um 
But yeah, it's, it's uh, unnerving. You know, it's like I I do depend on on the internet, and that that's I think that's the one. Uh, uh, what is that? Achilles tendon. Achilles <laughs> heel point yeah. here. Heel, yeah. Um, I don't know what to do about that. Like, if they really want to shut us down, and us meaning everybody, uh, it could happen. Yeah, and that's. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, it, yes, it's an Achilles heel. But it's the Achilles heel of the entire financial system, right? Like if the yeah. if if the internet goes down, you have so many more problems than just to worry about crypto, because yeah. well, not but not just the financial system. It's it's everything now. I mean, from food production and delivery to you know everything. Agreed. That's what I'm saying. Like you know, like if if that happens, right? You're you're no longer worried about like oh what happened to my Bitcoin. It's how am I going to eat a week from now, right? There, there, there are much bigger problems to worry about. So if you're only, if you're only concerned with, with, you know, cryptocurrency is, well, it relies too heavily on the internet. So does everything else, right? That's, mm -hmm. I guess that's, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I might be saying it not, I may not be as clear in my agreement. Yeah. You're saying the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Saying the same thing, but it's just, it's weird how, how people will raise that concern with just cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, no, man, like you're right. You're absolutely right. Cryptocurrency is reliant upon the Internet and electricity. Yeah. Um, but it, but, but so point, is modern if, life. If you're going on like what to worry about, then you should be diversified. That means, OK, you should you should have some paper dollars and you should have some gold coins and you should have some cryptocurrency. And you should have some alcohol and some cigarettes and you some never farmland. Know when, when you're trying to. Uh, get on the plane and you're bringing your your gold coin and the, they they catch it on the scanner and they go oh that's mine now you know <laughs> so you might yeah. want to have bitcoin for that uh you know sa same with the, you know a pile of of uh, dollar bills you know um they could take those too just like they did with the the mexican guy yeah um one one less reason to live on an island just throwing yeah. that out there too yeah but there's there's ways there's alternatives now and that's that's a good thing that yeah so it makes the world a better place no agreed and that's why you know that, that's again that's why when people raise that uh concern i dismiss it because mm -hmm. you know you can either use it to your advantage or you can worry about it and your concern by worrying about it is more widespread than you think well there's yeah there's multiple concerns and that's why diversity <laughs> yeah but, but again, you know, like we, we have a, there's a local farm here. Um, and you know, they, they, they sent out the, you know, their, their holiday reminder on social media, right? They're, they're running out of pigs, you know, buy your pigs now. <laughs> oh no. Uh, well, not, oh no, that's their job, right? They raise pigs, they sell pigs, you know, they, they sell them by the pound. Um, but the, the, you know, part of the message that they were delivering was food security, right? Right. Mm -hmm. If you're reliant on going to the grocery store to get food and something should happen to the supply chain of food, right? Where are you going to eat? Well, this farm is local and they have a pig set aside just for you. If you're willing to pay a premium for it. Right. And you know, and pigs are heavy. And so it's going to be expensive buying it by the pound. Um, but at least, at least you, uh, you know, having a local supplier means that you can be more, uh, less stressed over, uh, food security than if you had to go down to like, you know, the, the local supermarket, uh, to get what's left of whatever they have on the shelves, uh, because mm -hmm. of supply chain issues. Right. Yeah. 
So diversify in that respect too, right? Find I'm, find a local source of you know foods and I hate to be the you know prepper, but those guys were going to be okay. Yeah, maybe. But um, I'm curious why more local farms and stuff don't advertise so much. Like I haven't had like I get stuff in the mail all the time about uh, termite uh, removal and our extermination and uh, roofing and windows. I never get anything like, "Hey, we 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 provide food and we have a local farm and uh, you should, you know, even may maybe even like have a subscription service to a local farm." Um, uh, I act I actually know a few of them that exist, but yeah. not advertised at all. Not like uh, promoted, and they don't try to like increase the. The, the value proposition about that you know it's just, it's just like oh it's just there and like you have to find it if you really want it you know <laughs> right well and and i you're right and around here um there there's a handful of well-known ones so we don't have to go looking too much for them hmm. uh, if i had to speculate i would say that advertising uh is probably not cost effective for them because there's probably a limit on the amount of supply and if you advertise, if you spend a lot of money on advertising, um, that's a cost going out and you may get more inquiries, more demand than you can actually fulfill. Then you raise the price. Well, you could raise the price, but the, you, you still can't produce anymore. Right. right. So, but that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. If you raise the price though, then the profit could increase and then you could buy more farms and, um, if you wanted to, it. I don't know if local, so, I don't know if local farmers want to expand into like chain farms. Yeah. Right. That it's, it's hard work being a farmer and you go like, well, for the amount of work that I put into this, right. I, I, I do my work. I make my living as a farmer. I supply my community with food. Um, but there's no reason to expand that to supply the state with food. Right. So someone else can have that. Right. There are single shop owners that have no, no desire to open up a second shop. Right. It's a different kind of, uh, um talent you know then you know you're, you're managing the shop or then you're expanding totally different view on finance and personnel and dealing with government agencies and yeah yeah it's a different level of um of bother you could say and it doesn't often scale right yeah. there which is why a lot of small tech companies get bought out by large tech companies because they can't, they their current structure, their current management style, current managers in place, don't have the capability or the capacity to scale up. So when it gets to that point, you get bought out by the bigger guys. You take your windfall and you go do something else. It's a it's a different skill set altogether. Yeah, or it can be. You know, some people some people have it, some people don't. Most people don't. So I don't. You know, so for the local farmer, I can understand that. But at some point you go like, well, I'll just raise my prices. Well, th then you price yourself out of competition anyway, because there comes a point where people go like, well, I can't afford that. It's not worth it. I will then take my chances with the local supermarket, um, even if there's a risk that there would be a food shortage um, or a supply chain disruption, right? Like, you know, it's it's a, it's a, a economic principle of monopoly somewhere that even a uh, even a monopolist can't charge whatever they want because they're still subject to some market pressures. Sure, the fact that a newcomer might enter the market and and uh, start in competition with them. I that is just one example. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's often been said. Well, there are natural monopolies, certain things that 
when you get big enough, then nobody can compete with you. Whether there's, there's nothing about a natural, there is no such thing in my view as a natural monopoly that isn't um, somehow supported by government to exclude the competition. Uh, because the potential for competition is always the restraint on monopoly. I would actually, you, you look at companies like uh, Google and, and uh, you know, Amazon and so on, they're getting big because they keep trying to get better and better and better, more and more efficient, yeah. more and lower costs. They're not, um, well, and, and they do spend efforts to try and restrain their competition, which is natural too, but their their biggest effort is always trying to be more attractive than their competitors. I, and I generally agree with you, KS. However, I don't close the door on the possibility of a natural monopoly, right? You have to you, you have to leave that. You can't say like, well, without the government, there would be no monopolies, right? Well, there could be. There's nothing stopping it from happening, right? The, the current paradigm that we live under uh, is that most of the most of the uh, companies or corporations or whatever that we would consider monopolies happen to be government supported monopolies. Uh, but that's not to say that that's the only way to maintain a monopoly. I I, I hear you. Um, usually I say, well, give me an example. And usually the example, I can identify some kind of way that the government has intervened uh, to inhibit the, the competition. I often like to think of the game monopoly. You know, a lot sure. of people say, well, the game of monopoly is just where one guy eventually gets it all. But the only thing that makes a monopoly possible is, in the game of Monopoly is the rules. Why do you have to roll the dice and move around the board clockwise and uh, land on other people, people's property and pay for them? Why, why can't you just uh, say homestead some new territory uh, outside that circle? Uh, why can't you go backwards and forwards? Why can't you just stay put? Why can't you build a hotel first without, uh, without a house? In other words, all of the options that are available in life aren't available in the game of monopoly because the rules right. are pushing you in that direction. And I would say that's probably the case in, I mean, if you can give me an example of a business that's a, a natural monopoly, I'd like to think about it because I, I don't uh, think, well, I mean, I, I conceivably you can have a monopoly where the only, you're the only uh, seller of uh, bauxite in town. Right. Um, but well, okay. That but, doesn't mean that uh, that as soon as uh, the price goes up, that somebody else might not get into the business of providing bauxite. Under the current paradigm, I could see a lot of utilities being natural monopolies. Like, no, absolutely not. Now, that, there, I'm glad you gave that one. The history of of uh, utilities exactly the opposite. The the um, at the turn of the last century, um, there were um, most cities in the country had competing electric utility companies and their rates were lower, their output was greater and their profits were lower than in the cities that had only one electric utility company. And the companies, the, the, the towns that had a, um, well, actually across the country, there, there was a movement, a progressive movement saying that because the competition will lead to a monopoly, therefore we have to regulate it, put in a franchise, and outlaw the competition, which, of course, you didn't have to do if it was a natural monopoly. Um, and so where they introduced all of the legislation was in the cities that had competing electric utility companies. 
And the first thing they did was to eliminate all the competition, uh, give the franchise to one company, and soon output dropped, prices rose, and profits rose. Uh, you look at a city like um, Vienna. I was talking with a, a friend there. He says, How, I, I said, uh, you have a competing electric utility companies? He says, yeah, there's eight electric utility companies we can choose from. You can choose the uh, ones that are most friendly, the ones that are the best price, ones that are the most green, the most the ones that come and advise you on how to to keep your rates low. And in a day, you can call up one and say, "I'm going to switch over to the other one." And that's stuff that in this country it seems unheard of. But there are about 23 cities in this country that still have competing electric utility companies, and their rates are lower than comparable sized cities uh, elsewhere. Got it. Uh, yeah, so I, Again, I'm really glad that you gave me that example. Not uh, not dismissing it, but I I can still foresee an area uh, of, of an undetermined amount of size, right? Where a company comes in and says, like, nope, we bought the land where the poles go, and we're running the wires because we have you know the 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 easement for the wires, um, and then just just for the same reason they give that company the monopoly, I can see other companies going like. Yeah, we don't want to spend that money to get into that market uh, to split the profits 50%, right? Because they would have to buy their own poles, set up their own wires, create their own easements to try they to... They did that. To... They did that in, in Lubbock, Texas. There were two competing companies, and they were under the most pressure by consumers that wanted the lines put underground without poles. Yeah. And they did it... <laughs> Uh, because they were competing with the other company that that still wanted to have poles, and right? Eyesores. But if if you want an easement to cross, you know, if 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 you know, electric company A wants to get from house A to house C to run their wire, but house B is electric company B and won't allow for the easement. Where are you going to run the wire? No, that uh, well, first of all, all of these rights of way are government. Uh, understood so if you and, eliminate the government right away you just have property owner b going no you i'm only allowing company b to run wire because that's my electric company then you're yeah, stuck but no you're not stuck because you when you make an arrangement with the wire company you don't give him the right to exclude somebody else that comes into your across your territory you're across your land but you could you, well you you could but it doesn't serve the interests of the one who is is uh making the contract with it, the property owner wants to have competing you know it's like saying well okay pizza companies uh uh just because a pizza company delivers pizza to your door doesn't mean they that somebody else can't cross their path coming to to your door you won't want that you will want to make sure that um when you order for the pizza you don't say well you're the right to exclude any other pizza company uh, to come into my door um that the guy on the on the buying side is just as smart as the guy on the selling side for this uh, electricity. Could be, I, I'm I'm not willing to grant that. Right. The, <laughs> well, okay, but you know, look at the telephone uh, system there. When once the uh, uh, the government's monopoly patent on the telephone ran out after the first seventeen years, and by the way, that was such a corrupt uh, patent that was issued. You know, there were so many people working on uh, telephonic devices. Many of them had um, worked on it and developed it nine years before Alexander Graham Bell. Another guy, Elisha Gray, had um, filed for a patent the same day that Alexander Graham Bell. 
and Zenis Wilbur, uh, Zenis Fisk Wilbur, who was a patent officer, a drunkard, deeply in debt to the Alexander Graham Bell lawyers, gave him information that was in Elisha Gray's patent application, which made it possible for him to have a working model uh, at the end of the week. In other words, there's a lot of corruption about the patent itself. <coughs> but once they had the monopoly, okay, then they didn't produce much in the way of, of telephone service. But as soon as the patent ended, nine times as many um, telephone services were uh, installed around uh, the cities uh, because they were able to they, they strung wires over the neighbors and that sort of thing. They got permission to do so because the neighbors could be paid for it, you know. And yeah. uh, there were lots of uh, their rates were cut in half. They got nine times as many phones into people's homes. And uh, they were rapid developers of this stuff. And, uh, you know, the wire that went from one person's house to another didn't didn't. Uh, uh, it didn't say you couldn't have another wire go yeah. over the wire. No, I, mean, I got you. I just, I can't foresee a neighborhood where in front of everyone's house, right, there's like eight telephone poles to run telephone wires or electrical wires or underground for that matter, because there's eight competing companies, right? Well, like, to me, that's you, inefficient, you could, but right, you, could. But you absolutely could. I'm not dismissing it, but I'm saying that's a case where, yeah. Maybe Monopoly wins out because it's just silly otherwise. Not that it needs to be forced, but it's unnecessary. And if that Monopoly is providing quality service and a high quality product and people are satisfied with it and no one's going like, man, I wish there was another electric company in here because I don't like company A, right? They have that. The thing is that the, the wire uh, service can service several different companies. It doesn't have to be a different wire for each company. You could have a wire company. Ah, yes. Says, then you have a monopoly wire company renting out their wire, their wiring to, to competing electric providers. Well, or it could be a collaborative effort. Um, for example, um, people assume that uh, only the government can build lighthouses. But the biggest maritime country in the world, the, the, the British Isles, uh, all of their lighthouses are built by private companies. Why? Because they arranged for ways to, to um, get the users to, to pay for the lighthouse. They had, they had tie-in agreements with the ports. If you want to use the port, you have to be, able to, you have to be willing to pay for uh, a common lighthouse. You could say the same thing about, um, about telephone companies. If you want yeah. to be able to... Uh, I use the service, then you have to, you know, you have to contribute to a uh, common okay. um, conduit of, of, or, or even. I, that, I would say we're playing a semantical game existence. now, then, because rather than monopoly, you're, you're saying common, right? In, instead of eight wires going across your neighborhood, you have one common wire going across your neighborhood that all these eight organizations pay in. So it becomes a cartel instead of an, um, a monopoly. Well, but they have companies have reasons to to cooperate with each no, other. No, I'm sure they do. Monopolies, okay. But the thing is, I'm saying is, don't sell short the innovative uh, imagination of businesses that have um, reasons to compete and to cooperate. I'm not selling it short. I'm just saying that there. I I I leave open the door for situations where natural monopolies can occur because of because of either efficiencies or economies of scale that make it prohibitive or uh, cost ineffective for competitors to enter. 
All right. And then uh, let me suggest that the argument in favor of a natural monopoly has almost always been used to justify government intervention. Sure. Uh, and of course, that's that's absurd. If it's a natural monopoly, you don't need any government intervention. Agreed. Because it's going to naturally gravitate towards the thing you fear. But uh, rather than fear it, I, I'd say um, they people have been driven into that fear to justify a socialist, collectivist uh, government response to everything in the economy. And the, the electric utility company was the, the best example of that. The next is the telephone services. Why did we have a uh, single long lines monopoly to AT&T for telephone service for 70, 80 years in this country? Because they feared natural monopoly. So they gave a monopoly, a legal monopoly. And once they ended that, then we got stuff we never could have imagined before. All the smartphones and cell phones and all the competition that brought innovation. So in other words... We, it's that that fear of the notion of a natural monopoly that causes uh, uh, the greatest uh, uh, anti-market uh, reactions. Sure, and let me say that I'm not driven by fear. Again, I'm leaving the open the opportunity. And even if you break up a government-created monopoly, uh, look at what what has happened in telecommunication. Right, it's all it all those little mini bells or whatever have been consolidated uh, into what is now like the big three, right? AT and T, Verizon, and uh, whoever, right? But Sprint and the big two, right? AT and T and Verizon, like that is it for cell phones. And then on the outskirts, right, you have Sprint and T Mobile, right? Who were they were like, well, well, we got we have to merge because if we don't merge, we're going to go out of business. And then there'll really be no competition because then it'll just be AT&T and Verizon. Um, so that those companies are trying to merge legally to provide like the third option for, you know, cellular telephone service. And then you have all of these smaller carriers basically piggybacking off the networks that AT&T and Verizon have created. Well, because it's I, cost prohibitive I, for those smaller ones to throw up towers next to AT&T and Verizon towers across the country. Well, I don't think so. You've got satellites that have made satellite towers uh, obsolete, and you can get from a single satellite, or you can get, uh, you know, a uh, X space uh, satellite. I mean, there are many competing satellite companies that provide this sort of stuff. I mean, in other words, what you what you offer as the as the potential roadblock for monopoly, I think there's always ways around it. If it's allowed, and they, I, I yeah. don't really know enough about the communications industry, but my guess is that patents play a very big role in those consolidations, and that has always been the case. That's why uh, RCA, which was a conglomeration of Westinghouse, um, uh, United Fruit Company, and AT&T, consolidated into RCA and... Uh, bought out or extracted monopoly uh, patents from uh, all across the industry to stifle the competition and con consolidate it all into uh, the, the Radio Corporation of America. And it's the patents that do more than anything in the communication world to limit, limit competition. Sure. And that's a government monopoly. Probably, but that doesn't explain why after having been broken up for so long, they all consolidated again.
Well, of course it right. does. But patents are still as much. Uh, in fact, it's a bigger player now. You know, they didn't they didn't have to worry about patents as long as they had an exclusive right to the long lines. Now, patents are a bigger bigger player than anything on what is going to be, uh, you know, the the power play of of uh, forcing somebody into uh, a less competitive uh, situation in the marketplace. Well, with, with with telephone service, if you're talking about just long lines, right? They were broken up. What what innovation has come forward in long lines? to bring all those companies back together. Like what patent, you know, what patent has been issued going like, well, now, now that AT&T has a patent on this, we can no longer provide long distance service. Well, right? was it patents I, that put MCI out of business? I'm not all that familiar with the, the communications yeah. world. I, so I can't cite a particular patent, uh, but uh, I would like to hear back then because to me, they broke them up. And then they're reconsolidated, and now no, you I have mean, two big ones. I, I can't give you a specific patent example. No, I know. I, you and I both know that that patents dominate the world of communications, don't they? Uh, I don't. I want to say maybe, but I don't think so because I don't think there's a significant difference between AT and T and Verizon because AT and T has a patent that Verizon doesn't. Like I don't. <laughs> I bet that they both have huge uh, R&D departments with massive legal teams, massive legal teams to attack each other over their patents. You know, they, they've probably got, they've amassed thousands of patents and they spend enormous amounts of time uh, trying to see if there's patent infringement on anything that they've got so they can attack their opponents with uh, legal uh, challenges. Sure. Um, but when you think about cell phone service, right and how that data is transmitted 3g is a standard right that they that all of those companies utilize right and then lte was a standard that all of those companies utilize and for a while there was wimax which i had a wimax router on my desk at home before because i had clear and they were wimax and sprint served their customers over wimax uh, not because Verizon and AT&T and T-Mobile had a patent on LTE technology, because it doesn't. It's just a standard that they all agree to use or that they all choose to use because it serves consumers the best, right? And then Sprint go, well, Sprint went, uh, you know, put all their money on WiMAX and failed because WiMAX didn't take off the way they had hoped, right? And then L after LTE, there was like, you know, 4G or somewhere in there was 4G. And now 5G is is a marketing term with many different standards that all of these companies are going to be utilizing on their next generations of, of cell phone technology. And it's not that AT&T has a patent on 5G and is licensing it to Verizon. It's just a standard that's being used to deliver data to consumers over I'd their say new towers. A, I'd say those are good examples of cooperative effort um, to facilitate uh, the industry that they don't, that, they they choose to use these standards because it's beneficial to all of them. I don't. I don't right. They don't. But it doesn't. To, but they're not holding a patent over the smaller cell phone carriers saying like, no, you can't use this five G standard. They just don't. It's. An, I don't. Anyway, uh, is there anything else going on in the news or headlines or good, anything before we point. run out of time? <laughs> yeah, I've got headlines. Okay. Uh, yes, election fraud is real, and it's a longstanding tradition on both sides of the aisle. Uh, headline, half of politics is the refusal to be imposed upon. 
A headline, don't call the cops, especially if your loved ones are old, disabled, or have special needs. A headline, now is the time for Americans to rebel against lockdowns, mass laws, and forced vaccinations. A headline, the Democrats push to cancel $50,000 in student loan debt completely ignores the real reason college is so expensive. A headline, entrepreneurship is accelerating at the fastest rate in decades during this pandemic. And finally, headline, the impossibility of taxation without representation. I like the good news one about entrepreneurship. All right. Entrepreneurship is accelerating at the fastest rate in decades during this pandemic. And I will say it sounds like good news, but it's it's a weird sort of good news to me when I hear the headline um, because it's 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 innovation. It's government created innovation, right? Cre- oh, no creativity by destruction well because they forced everyone at home and not allowed to work right and all of a sudden everyone's fucking broke and what do you do when you're broke you find creative ways to make money so that's that's what i that's what i think when i hear the headline Uh, as officials in many areas impose new pandemic lockdowns and restrictions going into the holiday season things can seem bleak depression rates are up people are fleeing cities in droves elected leaders regularly violate their own orders And fraud is rampant in the government's COVID-19 stimulus programs. It's understandable to feel frustration and despair. But more Americans are pushing past the grimness to create and invent during this challenging time. Entrepreneurship continues to soar during the pandemic as displaced dreamers and imaginative doers spot new opportunities to build businesses at a record pace. It may be one of the few 2020 bright spots. This week, the Wall Street Journal reports that entrepreneurship during the pandemic is accelerating. Several metrics point to this growth, including the number of people applying for tax identification numbers. The journal cites U.S. Census Bureau data revealing that applications by small businesses rose nearly one-third between January and September compared to the previous year. In particular, applications skyrocketed between July and September, rising 77% from the previous quarter, the biggest quarter increase in 16 years of tracking this data. This week's report reinforces the trend towards entrepreneurship during the pandemic that the journal first highlighted last month, stating then, Americans are starting new businesses at the fastest rate in more than a decade. Many of the individuals currently leaping into entrepreneurship are workers whose businesses were shut down by government edict and who experienced associated layoffs or pay cuts. According to this week's journal article, to adapt to the pandemic and the job loss it unleashed, more Americans are becoming their own bosses, setting up tiny businesses to work as traveling hairstylists, in-home personal trainers, boutique mask designers, and chefs. A man in Maryland started a mobile car washing business, uh, unquote. Uh, New needs, new business opportunities. Other entrepreneurs are identifying fresh needs and unmet demand during the pandemic and are inventing new technologies as a direct result of this unprecedented experience. Uh, Fee, where this article is coming from, the uh, Foundation for Economic Education, uh, just concluded its week-long Entrepreneur Week series of free webinars aimed at inspiring teenagers and young adults to be entrepreneurial. One of the panelists was Stanford University's senior Antonia Hellman, who, along with her brother Ethan, recently founded Toucan, a virtual event and social platform as an immediate response to the pandemic shutdown. According to Hellman, Toucan is a platform that is designed to allow people to have more human interactions at their virtual event. 
This started after my brother, who was a sophomore at Stanford, and I got sent home from school and we realized that the default video conferencing tools were simply not good enough to keep communities together. We were not only physically isolated from all of our friends, but our connection wasn't facilitated at all by these existing tools. The default was to hop on a Zoom call. After we had a couple of events where 20 to 30 people were all in their little squares and they all turned off their microphones and cameras and the conversation just died, we realized that we needed a different solution that actually allowed people to have fun interactions virtually. That way we could keep those communities together. The pair then sat down at the kitchen table and plotted the development of Toucan, which uses advanced technologies to closely replicate human interactions virtually. Toucan officially launches next week. Another panelist at this week's webinar series was John Chisholm, longtime entrepreneur, investor, and author of Unleash Your Inner Company, 10 Steps to Discover, Launch, and Scale Your Ideal Business. In his book's newly released paperback edition, Chisholm says that the pandemic is a great time to start a new business, and he offers tips for starting a company during times of crisis. Chisholm writes, most importantly, crises, crises create new needs. During the 2020 COVID-19 virus crisis, people needed to connect with friends and family despite an inability to travel, exercise despite gym closures, get food and supplies delivered, work remotely, and much more. Some of these new needs ended with the lockdowns. Others will continue indefinitely. You have to access not only which, which needs you can best serve, but also since those needs will require investment by you, how long they will last. Assessing this will require talking to many people weighing much data, and taking some risks. The longer you keep asking questions, the clearer the picture becomes. As we enter the final weeks of a very difficult year and encounter new lockdowns and restrictions, it can seem that 2020 offers little to celebrate, yet this COVID-19 pandemic has triggered a burst of entrepreneurial ambition, leading to new business, new innovations, and new pathways of prosperity for many Americans. The creativity, ingenuity, and determination to take risks and persevere that this year's entrepreneurs have demonstrated can be a beacon for all of us and a reminder that our entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well. Uh, end of the article. Uh, your thoughts, MC, on these entrepreneurial activities caused by the government lockdown? Uh, I actually don't have much to add to that. Um, yeah, it's uh, entrepreneurs are the ones that, that provide things for people and uh, the government uh, tries to destroy it constantly. So which disincentivizes future entrepreneurs, <laughs> right? It's, it's so, these are people that may have become entrepreneurs anyway, if their creativity hadn't been stifled early on and them told that they needed to go just get that corporate job uh, because entrepreneurship was difficult, right? And getting that corporate job was easier when there wasn't a pandemic. So they just went along to get along uh, so to speak, and then finding themselves without that, you know, easy access to, to money, uh, and work, eh, that's when the entrepreneurial spirit got unleashed. But that's not to say every, anyone can be an entrepreneur. It's definitely a different mentality, uh, than that of an employee or a worker. Uh, but it's good that those people with that entrepreneurial spirit, uh, found a way to access it in spite of the pandemic. All right. How much time we got? Uh, we can wrap it there if you're done. Final thoughts? Good show. 
All right. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha.